I didn't want to live that life where I dreaded Monday and just like waited for 5.01, you know, like five o'clock in the afternoon. I knew that there was sort of more to life. Hey, podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. Happy Thursday morning and happy Thanksgiving. For those of you not in the know, Thanksgiving is the greatest of all American holidays. You are obligated to do nothing but eat food and hang out with friends and family that you've known for many years. So in the spirit of this grand holiday, we've invited somebody on the show that we've known for many years, Sarah Kornblatt. Now to talk about how we met Sarah... I think it's important to do a little TMBA history lesson. We got to roll back the clocks way back to episode 106. This is back in a time when Ian and I were still primarily focused on our e-commerce business. And we were sort of just kicking around ideas on the show like, well, what could we do to do more for our listeners? And we literally just kind of brainstormed it out. Well, I think it's important to meet people. And I think it's important to like work with people for an extended amount of time. So what if we like got together for two weeks and got on Skype with them before they met us and helped them brainstorm what they wanted to work on for two weeks? And, you know, we're kicking around this idea on the show. And literally, I'm like, okay, boss man, how much do you think it should cost? And he kicked out a price. And I'm like, all right, let's do it. And it turns out that 44 listeners of this show that joined us for a two-week seminar in the Philippines way back in 2012. And Sarah was one of those people. So today's show is really the story of what happened between those seminars and today when Sarah's business has taken off. And for me, it's really the story of an idea because businesses start with ideas. And we talk about that a lot on the show. Like, yeah, here's a business idea. Why don't you go start a business with that? The problem with the beautiful simplicity of that is sometimes we're not ready for those ideas or those ideas aren't ready for us. And the process of sorting through all that can take years. And it really often does for many of us. So I was curious for Sarah to explain it from her perspective, how it all went down. If you'd like to weigh into this conversation or check out the show notes and links to everything we're going to talk about today, you can click over to tropicalmba.com slash Sarah K. Now, just a little context. Sarah is an attorney and she runs a successful online business, which provides legal services to online entrepreneurs like you and me. But it wasn't always that way. On this side of the law, on that side of the law. Who is right, who is wrong, who is for and who's against the law? I first came across you guys when I was in a unhappy place at my 9 to 5. I started Googling work while you travel, travel and work, work abroad. And somehow I came across the blog and I was just like, I cannot believe people are doing this. Like, this is it. And it was the beginning of summer 2012. And every day that summer, I would listen to the podcast going to and from work. And I just got more and more excited. I mean, I was still at the point where I was like, I don't know what I would do, but I knew it was coming. And when you guys put out the call for the October workshop, I was just sold. 
I left my nine to five, I cashed in my 401k and I was like, I'm going to make this happen. And so after our first group call, I think we had the opportunity to get on the phone with you and sort of flush out some business ideas. I remember sitting in my Washington DC apartment, my studio apartment, I had this whole list of the most random ideas. I don't know if you remember this, but I had everything from like a site on being gluten-free to, you know, selling travel goods. I think I did have some legal stuff on there. I had like a site working with law students, a whole bunch of stuff. (laughs) I remember the call actually. I think I remember thinking something like, why does she want to do e-commerce? She has this incredible skill set. Did I say that on the call? I don't remember what I said to you. I think you did. And I'm pretty sure that I left the call and went into the workshop with the idea that I was going to do legal. I think the main reason I had shied away from it at the beginning was that I didn't enjoy working at a law firm being a lawyer. My sort of thought was, how could I enjoy that as my own business if I really at that time associated legal with like an icky feeling? Let's go back then to you get your law degree. So what did you do after you graduated from law school in in St. Louis? Is that right? Yeah, so I went to law school in St. Louis, and I have always had a big travel bug. And I've always sort of been one of those people that was like, I don't know what I want to do. I know that I want a good job. But there was nothing that I could see after college that I would enjoy doing for the next 50 years. So to me, law seemed flexible because there's so many different types. I also had the idealistic of I can help the world. And then I also had the thought of like, well, it can't hurt. You know, a law degree isn't going to hurt me. It's an expensive lesson to learn that. So I finished up law school and actually had gotten into the area of food and drug law. So I had always been interested in nutrition and health. And I had written a law review article on regulating fast food restaurants. During law school, I had interviewed with the FDA and didn't get it. But I still had the pull towards D.C. And that's Washington, D.C. Correct, which is confusing to a lot of people in our community. I realize that now. I moved to Washington, D.C. I didn't have a job. I spent that summer studying for the bar exam in Washington. I took the Maryland bar and just started networking and through some connections interviewed and got a position as a food and drug attorney with a medium-sized regulatory firm in Washington, D.C. And, you know, it was actually a really good experience. I can't complain too much. It wasn't a huge firm. I was not working 80 hours a week. But it just wasn't an area that excited me. And I knew, I would say within six months, that I wasn't on partner track. And I pretty quickly started looking for my next thing. And so again, as I had done in 2012, this was back in 2007, started thinking, well, how can I travel and work at the same time? I decided that I would go into, this time, a more health career track. And so I went back to school, got my master's in public health. You know, I love learning. If I could be a perpetual student, I probably would. And it was with that that I sort of found the area of international health and global health. And that sort of set off my next five or so years. And I worked in India and then came back to Washington and worked at a think tank and then a university in this area 
area of international health, looking at something called the international health regulations. And I did get to travel. So, you know, I got to go to Thailand and Malaysia and Vietnam, and then all through East and South Africa and the Middle East. But I also, again, quickly learned that traveling for work in that capacity is not the same as traveling on your own. And after several years, it was a really sort of come to Jesus moment where I was like, this for all intents and purposes, is my dream job. So why aren't I happy? Were there moments or things that happened to you that made you start to think of alternatives? You've invested so much into it at that moment. What made you start to look outside for other options? I think I just got to a point where I didn't want to live that life where I dreaded Monday and just like waited for 5.01, you know, like five o'clock in the afternoon And, you know, I've always been interested in self-development, and I knew that there was sort of more to life. At that point, I just didn't know the possibilities. So you're a lawyer with a degree, with a really impressive-looking job, and then all of a sudden, you cash in your 401k and start kicking around e-commerce ideas with random people you met in the Philippines. How do people in your life respond to this shift in you? Not very well. You know, when I got back from the Philippines, I basically told my parents I was moving to Bali without a plan. You know, I had started my first business at that point, which you know was called the Bootstrap Lawyer, but it hadn't really done much. And I decided that I was going to be a legal transcriptor, which is something you can do on the road, like typing court documents. I like went through this training course. I didn't even last one day. I was just like, this is miserable. And my parents were very much like, you need to look for a job. This is just not acceptable. So I did, you know, I was living at home. At that point, I'd started doing some consulting for my previous employers back in Washington and was applying for jobs that intrigued me more. I applied for one that that would have been in Paris and another that would have worked in Madagascar. And it was really interesting because I sort of convinced myself that I really wanted them. And when I didn't get them, I was disappointed. But At that time, I had connected with people in the D.C., and so that really kept this dream alive. And so my parents didn't know it, but that entire time I was plotting my escape, and I was trying to figure out how to get to Thailand. That was, like, where I wanted to go. So after about six or seven months, I was making enough of an income from this part-time work at my previous job to make a go of it in Thailand. And so basically, I bought a ticket and just came to them with a printout of a one-way ticket to Thailand. Now, people coming to these seminars in the Philippines were from all different backgrounds, from successful entrepreneurs who just wanted to hang out to people right out of college. Some of those with less experience were really struggling to find a direction and an idea. But for me, Sarah was different. Like She was a qualified lawyer with a great attitude, skill set that people really wanted. For Ian and I, it seemed clear the way forward was to start a productized legal service for entrepreneurs and freelancers. And she more or less did get something up on the web in 2012, and it was called the Bootstrap Lawyer. So what I was interested to hear is, why didn't we hear about this in 2013 or 2014 or 2015 even? Why at the time didn't the idea work for her? Sure. So I think a couple reasons. It felt a little bit forced. Like, it felt like I should be doing legal because I'm a lawyer. 
and not because it's what I really wanted or it was necessarily my passion. There weren't a lot of people in the online legal space at that point, and I think my mindset was I'm not necessarily one to jump out and be first. And so I saw a couple other people doing it. And, you know, there are some legal issues. You have to be careful and protect yourself and protect people that you're working with. And because the law is so behind the times, this idea of an online legal space is still rapidly developing and was still back then. The brand I was building, the Bootstrap Lawyer, at that point, I really wasn't connected to it. I didn't really like it. And it all just felt a bit overwhelming. I think a huge piece of it was mindset. And really, can I do this? Do I want to do this? I had these dreams but didn't know how they were going to come true. And even though immediately I had people that found me just from my website and I had a few clients, I didn't at that point see the possibility. And so I tended, and this is sort of part of my personality, is to go back to what I know and go back to what is safe. And as I started to do the consulting and get paid for it, I sort of just put Bootstrap Lawyer on the back burner. And I was like, well, maybe this just isn't the business for me. And then once I moved on and I moved to Thailand and started seeing a few things that other people were doing, and you know, it's the shiny object syndrome. I saw people running these e-commerce stores and you know, making this great passive income, you know, supposedly, and decided that I could do that. And so, you know, a few months after I was in Thailand, I connected with another DCer, two DCers that were running a fair trade e-commerce site. And I helped them build and expand on their marketing and social media. And I was like, I could definitely run my own store. And so at that point, I took a class on how to run a dropship site. And I started selling eco-friendly furniture. Completely random. Do you remember this? It's not (laughs) random at all because that was one of the ideas on your list. Was it? Yes, it was. (laughs) And I remember that really jumped out at me because I was selling furniture online. And my first thought was... Well, why does she want to sell furniture? You know, this does not sound strange to me at all. There's a pattern here, and it's part of the reason I wanted to talk to you is you didn't think that you could be a lawyer, even though you were a lawyer, but you did think you could run an e-commerce store, even though you'd never run an e-commerce store. For some reason, I feel like I see this all the time. I did the same thing. When I was trying to start my first business, you know what I did is I developed this really complex piece of software. Of course, I didn't develop it because I have no idea how to do that. So I spent a bunch of an investor's money trying to develop this crazy like piece of software. If a software developer, I explained to them what this problem I was trying to solve, they would just roll their eyes. But meanwhile, I'm like running a manufacturing company. And for some reason, like when I started to think of myself as an entrepreneur, I guess I had to do something completely different if I wanted to be an entrepreneur, almost. I've heard this story many times too. And I think we don't always see what's staring us right in the face, right? And, you know, I should also add that during these interim years, people were still coming to me for legal stuff. And I was still doing it sort of one-off on the side. Like, can you review this contract? Can you do this for friends? The furniture store was short-lived and I didn't put in 100% to it, so it wasn't surprising. But I knew, again, pretty quickly that I was like, I don't want to deal with these customers. I don't want to deal with shipping. What was the moment when this idea started to come back to you that maybe there was something you could do legally for people? I was on the road for about a year and a half 
all over Asia and Europe and got a bit burnt out, wanted to sort of settle and really at that point figure my life out. As somehow I had worked myself back into basically a nine to five, even though I was working remotely. And so I came back to the States and had some real sort of what am I going to do with my life moments again? You know, and I found myself three years later sort of being like, how did I get back here? And I started working with a life coach and did a lot of, you know, a more self-development. And through that, I found the world of coaching. I went back to an online program and got a certification as a holistic health coach. So random. And I was like, I'm going to be a health coach. And within two or three months of being in the program, I was like, I do not want to be a health coach. But what I quickly found out was that there's this huge world of coaching that I had no idea existed. What I also quickly saw was these people are working without legal protection. They're working online. They're working one-to-one with people they're losing money, they don't know what to do. And at that point, this was in, you know, sort of early to mid 2015. I thought after several years working in online business, I know what a sales funnel is, I know online marketing, and I also know legal. So what about trying to marry business coaching with legal? Because if someone is starting an online business, how great would it be to have sort of a one stop shop? And so I started down that path, but very quickly saw that people were only interested in the legal. Basically, at that point, there wasn't money coming in. I had totally left any sort of consulting, and it was sort of make or break. And so the decision Sarah took at the beginning of this year, 2016, for you space cadets out there, was to do something we often mention on the show, niche, to focus solely on her legal work, to build online consulting packages that work for internet entrepreneurs. And when I ran into her recently at DCBKK, our annual conference in Bangkok every year, it was clear to me that something had clicked for her. On this side of the law, on that side of the law, who is weak, who is wrong, who is for and who's against the law. From that moment that I declared that I was going to be doing legal only, within two weeks, I had like three clients. I had made more than I had in like the previous four months. And from that, it just took off and has been building every month. So this is pretty interesting in terms of BKK. So I went to the conference. So DC BKK, you're talking about? DC BKK, yes. Back in 2013 and then 2014. And 2014 was running the e-commerce store. wasn't doing well. I was still doing consulting. And I felt like I didn't quite fit in. I wasn't totally an online business owner because I still had side income and it just felt a bit inauthentic. When I went back this year, it was amazing because I have a solid business. I knew I belonged there. I knew I could help people. I knew I was helping people. Yeah, it was interesting. Just an observation from the other side of the table, like how much it was clear that you were engaged in a new way. Like I sat down to just have a chat with you at lunch and you were cutting a deal with some dude. And I was like, (laughs) I just wanted to catch up, you know? Yeah. (laughs) What would that Sarah tell the 2012 Sarah? Is there any advice or is it a process that everybody needs to go through? I have two answers. One being, I wish I would have just told that Sarah to stick with it, like stick with the legal, you know, keep going, figure it out. Imagine, you know, where I could be now. And sometimes I sort of am like, eh, should have. But you're right. I really feel like I had to go through that process and come back to it 100% 
by my own choice. You know, from this time, I've built a brand that I really love, which is, you know, hashtag protect your passion, you know, and my website is completely different now. And it's about me, not about me, me, but my passion for helping online entrepreneurs, my passion for travel and sort of who I am. It's definitely you. Yeah, it comes through a lot more. And so, you know, my dad is one to preach this as well. Like every quote unquote failure, every move, every experience is just building on the next one. And so while I would have liked to have said, you know, just stick with it and build, I don't know that I would be happy or as successful now if I had sort of taken that path. One of the biggest disappointments for me in doing those seminars was that I realized that I couldn't really have that big of an impact. Like you can't change people's business in two weeks, you know? And so it's not surprising to me at all that you're like, yeah, you know, it took me like three or four years to figure this out. And it's like, yeah, of course. You know what I mean? Here I was thinking that, oh, yeah, we'll just get together for two weeks. And at the end of the two weeks, we'll have it all figured out. That's insane. <laughs> well, it's a lofty goal, but I will say, you know, those two weeks, it was definitely the impetus of it all. And some of the skills and thought processes I learned back then, you know, served me well and was the foundation to get to where I am today. So you can pat yourself on the back for that. What's your travel plans now? So I am back in the States. I'm in Chicago. So I decided that I wanted to come back for a little bit. You know, this is a whole nother episode, but traveling and meeting people on the road can be difficult. I know there are many successes out there, but that was a priority in my life was to sort of meet someone. I didn't want to go back to Washington, D.C., and I sort of looked for areas of the country that had a good airport, that had a good entrepreneurial sort of vibe to it. And decided on Chicago, you know, I'm from St. Louis originally, so I'm a Midwesterner at heart. And it's been great. My travel over the past year and a half, it definitely slowed down. I did get over to Europe for a couple months last year in Mexico. And the great thing now that I have discovered is this thing called Home Exchange, where, you know, I spent three weeks in Barcelona and some chick was in my apartment in Chicago. But I really enjoyed sort of being a bit more stable. I think it took that focus to really get the business to where it is. You know, I have an assistant now, and so even when I travel, things can keep going. But I really felt that I needed to sort of be stable for a bit to make that happen. The lifestyle that you just described is one that I think for a lot of people is really a dream lifestyle. But you, in some ways, you risked a lot to get it. You had this great earning potential. You had a career going and instead you dropped it. You literally made a big financial risk and you kind of hoboed around in the entrepreneurial community for many years. What's your perspective now when you go back and you talk to people that are in jobs? Like, How do you describe the transition? Has it been worth it? And what's your perspective on all that kind of coming out on the other side now? Yeah, it is risky, you know, and it's hard. And if anyone tells you differently, I would be interested in that conversation. There were times where money was very tight, where I literally was like eating beans. And you're right. I had the thought, how am I a 30-something lawyer with another graduate degree who is struggling this much? And I really had to think about, is it worth it? And can I do it? And do I want to do it? 
I mean, 110%, it is worth it because where I am now, like you just said, it's like, this is the goal for me. This was the dream lifestyle to be somewhere, to have my own business, to be able to travel where I want, when I want, and to be building something that I know is sustainable. So, you know, right now I do a mix of sort of, you know, I sell templates, which is basically passive income, but I do one-on-one, but my next step is doing a course and growing that. And, you know, I know that this business will be with me and give me the flexibility that when I do, you know, get married and have kids, like it's still going to be there and it's still going to provide income. And that was always the ultimate goal. But as you know, it takes a thick skin and it's not for everyone. You know, there's many people that try it and just end up back in a nine to five. And I respect that just as much, you know, they're positive and negatives to both. I thought it was interesting how it took Sarah many years to come back to an idea that she recognized was a good one, but sometimes you're just not in the right place to take up an opportunity for whatever reason. And I've seen it so many times. I felt it. I can relate to that. So I don't think there's any straightforward answers. It's just good to know that, you know, it's a journey. It takes time for these things to come about. The other thing that I think is fascinating about Sarah is how she executed this idea and more broadly speaking, like what this opportunity means for the rest of us. So I want to talk with Sarah a little bit about professional services, generally speaking, and some of the nuts and bolts as to how she successfully sold her services. On this side of the law, on that side of the law, who is right, who is wrong, who is for and who's against the law. One of the things that was difficult for both of us to see back in 2012 when we were like brainstorming is that there's all these professional services that have existed in the business world for a really long time, but there was so few of them focused on our community. I remember us kind of debating and wondering whether was that because it's a horrible idea and there's no place for it? Or is this like a huge opportunity right in front of our eyes? Now in 2016, how do you describe it to your other professional friends? Yeah, I think you're right. I think we didn't see it back then. And now it's just exploding. And there is so much potential in a lot of different areas. So I sort of describe it as I'm an attorney that works with online business owners working to protect their businesses through website protections and contracts and If people aren't familiar with the online world, they have a really hard time understanding that. I have, obviously, lawyer friends, and they sort of fall into two camps. Like, that's pretty radical what you're doing. And the other ones are like, yeah, it's great that you're, you know, like bringing this to the masses. Like, law has been such an intimidating and sort of untouchable area that many people just don't want to deal with because they think it's so expensive and you have all these stereotypes about big law firms. And so to actually bring it down to where people can grasp it and understand it and realize how much it helps them, I think people see that as a really positive thing. I think broadly speaking, there's a huge opportunity for those with professional experience, and that could be traditional like lawyers, accounting, those sorts of things, but also like much, much broader than that, like manufacturing consulting and so on, like just professional experience, broadly speaking, and to package it and to sell it to this new breed of entrepreneurs that, like you said, like they're lost, like they're making legitimate businesses and no one's helping them. There was no lawyer online that would specifically target and speak the language of people running an Amazon business or a coaching membership website. 
It's so true. And, you know, one of the things I hear a lot from my readers, which is great, which is like, thank you for making it. I've even heard the word fun used, which is amazing because that's my goal is to make it fun, to make it not scary. And absolutely, there's a lot of industries that this works well with. You know, at DCBKK, I was fortunate enough to spend some good time with the Bee Ninjas, which are doing accounting. And we're going to collaborate in the future. And we have such similar businesses that it's really great to see some of these underutilized services getting out to the populations that really need them. Can you talk a little bit about the challenges of packaging your services? When I look at your website, this is a classic productized service website, and it's really well done. What was the process for you in coming up with how to turn your expertise into something that people can buy? Yeah, so that's a great question. When I first really dove into this, I was ingrained in the coaching world. And so I saw that as sort of my first customer base. And because I had, you know, been trained as a health coach and in the business coaching world, I sort of saw what they needed. And basically, if you're starting out as a coach or consultant or web designer, you need a contract for your clients and you need website protection. So a lot of people don't realize that You know, there are laws regulating websites, you need privacy policies, you need terms of service. And so my first basic offering was everything you need for your website and a client contract. And so that started out as my signature package, which is called Let's Get Legal. And what's interesting is as I went along, I quickly realized that that wasn't enough and I needed to provide tiers. And it's interesting because I feel like this is something we learned in the Philippines. Can you describe the tiers? Yeah, so like a gold, silver, and bronze For me, I have like a startup, a growing business, and a pro, like professional. So just providing more options because in terms of legal where you are in your business, that really dictates what you need. So I had businesses that had been around for a while that now they needed terms of purchase for a membership site, or now they needed a partnership agreement. And so what I did was sort of take one package that wasn't really suiting everyone and created three options. And that has actually gone really well, because if you are just starting out, you know you need startup, but if you're a bit further along, you might need that. I also pretty quickly realized that a do-it-yourself sort of template option was going to be useful as well, and I knew that other people, other attorneys in my space that were doing this had that option, and so that was sort of the next step in terms of adding offerings. Now, there's got to be a lot of mental objections that many people would face doing this sort of thing. For example, you know, why would you offer a template if you could just go to LegalZoom and get a template? I wanted to provide an option that was a more personalized touch. I have templates specifically for web freelancers because like a web designer needs different things on their website than a coach does. I have templates specifically for health coaches since I know that industry well. I have then for coaches and consultants and there are different terms that are needed in terms of disclaimers and things like that. You know, as far as I know, you can't go to LegalZoom and be like, I'm a life coach, I need this. You certainly can't be like, I'm an Amazon seller, I need this. While, of course, custom is always best, if you're doing it yourself, you want to know that it's attorney drafted and at least relevant to your industry. Once I have worked with, let's say, someone in an Amazon business, 
and worked with them on a contract and developed what they need for their website, which now Amazon requires. The next Amazon person that comes, I'm not starting from ground zero. I now have a pretty big backlog that someone comes to me and I know sort of where to begin. In terms of pricing them, you know, I really looked at, you know, like what is market standard for sort of an online business attorney and did it that way. It is ever evolving. So did you find it hard to raise your prices or? Yes. Oh my gosh. This has been such a process. I don't know if you remember back with the bootstrap lawyer, like telling me you need to be charging more. I think I started out being like, I'm going to charge like $99 for a contract or something like ridiculous. It has been a process and my prices are still fairly low. It's a total mindset thing for me because, and I'm sure other professionals feel this way, like the law to me comes really easily. And so it's tough for me to be like, I'm going to charge you X, Y, Z for something that comes so easily to me and I want to help you and I know you need me. And so all of that stuff kind of comes in, but I have definitely over the past few months and year, like raised prices, I continue to do it. The more people I help, the more value I see. And that makes it easier. But yeah, that has been a challenge for sure. Have you noticed that when you raise your prices, was there a difference in the types of people buying the product? No, you know, I have a pretty diverse clientele. What's interesting about my business is everyone needs me. It's just like, when are you ready? And I have three types of people coming to me. Those that are just starting out, they know that they want to be protected from the very beginning and they're willing to invest. The second is people that have maybe been in business for a year or two. They're making money. They see what the potential of what could go wrong. And they're like, I'm ready for this now. And then third are people that have gone screwed and they didn't protect themselves. And now they're like, oh, shit, you know, and so then they sort of come with their tail between their legs. I mean, like, I really wish I had done this sooner. It's like going to the dentist, you know, you don't necessarily want to do it, but you know, you need to do it. And once you do, you just, you feel a lot better. (laughs) I really encourage the listeners to check out the way you've done your packages. I think part of the reason I love this style of business is that it's pretty agile. Like as you learn things about your customers and things, you can change your packages, change your pricing, have it be more efficient. Ideally, someday, you know, your staff will just be delivering for your customers and you'll be doing the next thing. Let's say our listeners get inspired. They want to turn their expertise into packaged products. You put up the website. How did you get people to buy the product? Well, marketing, for one thing. (laughs) You can't say that. Did you talk to people? Did you hustle in person? Or did you just put up blog posts and cross your fingers? No, definitely not. I don't know if anyone has just found my website and bought. It's all been either through referral or through, you know, I do a lot of my marketing in Facebook groups and I'm in these coaching communities now. So I was in a program that was sort of a business coaching program for women and it was full of you know, my quote unquote ideal clients, a bunch of new coaches that needed legal help. And, you know, one came to me and was like, what can you do for me? And at that point, that's when I sort of put together the first package. And then from there, she told a few people and every once in a while, someone would post on Facebook, like, I need a contract. Do you know anyone? And so at that point, it sort of took a life of its own because now I have past clients tagging me, you know, I worked with Sarah, you know, she's great. 
I also have done webinars and then, you know, through guest posting and being on podcasts as well. And then collaborations. I hooked up with a web designer and she was like, you know, I work with WordPress designers and we have all these questions. Will you come and do a webinar just for us? Which I did. And then that's what sparked my web freelancer bundle. So it definitely was not just like I'm going to write blog posts and drive traffic to my site. It was much more personalized than that. You're making a name for yourself, solving a very legible problem. Like you've been really clear about what you do for people. So it's easy for people to kind of pass your name around. Exactly. I have had people come to me with issues that I don't want to deal with, you know, like more extensive issues that are just sort of outside my realm. And I'm sort of like, this is not my wheelhouse. And so getting really clear on what I enjoy doing and what I can help people with and really what they need has been a big thing for me too. You're doing such a great job with the marketing. Have you thought about having like a lead generation arrangement with a traditional law firm? I haven't. Just hearing the words traditional law firm, I'm kind of like, nope. Because <laughs> those are worth a lot. So you could potentially... I don't know, but I don't think it'd be crazy to charge like $300 for a name. That's a good point. Now that the marketing engine is really going, are you finding that people are coming to the site and just clicking buy now and you're getting the PayPal alert? Or is it more a matter that you have to cultivate those people through having a quick Skype with them or chatting with them via email? Yeah, I do find that it is more of a cultivation, mostly because some people don't necessarily know what they need. For the templates, I have had just sort of buy now. But in terms of the packages or the more custom services, you know, it could be just a quick Facebook, like I'm starting out, I'm not sure what I need. And you know, I'm like, this is what you need, go buy it. And that has happened as well. But I do find that having a conversation and sort of cultivating just gives them more reassurance that I'm not crazy and that I'm a real person and that I can help them. I think once I, you know, release the course, that will be something that's more of a just, okay, I'm going to buy this. This is exactly what I need. But at this point, it's more personalized. Yeah. Eventually, it's cool to see how these, like the intelligence develops. Eventually, like all those conversations will make the cumulative intelligence there will make their way into course and ultimately marketing materials that guide people to the right place. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I have, in terms of people interested in my packages, I've had the same conversation over and over again. And so I think at some point I will record some sort of video that's like, watch this first. And if you still have questions, let's hop on the phone. Sarah, I am out of time and questions. Do you have any parting shots that you want to put on the record? Thank you, guys. Thanks to Dan and Ian for starting this whole shebang for so many of us. I really appreciate it. I almost feel like four years later, those thousand day, that thing is true. (laughs) And like being on here, it's almost like coming full circle. Like if we had known, you know, back on some of those beach walks in the Philippines that this is where we would be today, I would have been like, okay, awesome. On this side of the law, on that side of the law. Who is weak, who is wrong, who is for and who's against the law. I hope you liked that one. I certainly did. I'd like to thank Sarah for coming on the show today. We're going to be posting links to everything we talked about at tropicalmba.com slash Sarah K. And go check out sarahcornblatt.com too. Check out how she's executing her services, how she's presenting herself. 
on my cue sheet here, it's like, what's it feel like to hear success stories like that? What's my reflection? Well, here's my reflection. This is like the full house moment where I'm trying to say what I learned from talking to Sarah today. The main thing is, is that, you know, most of the times when people pop up on a podcast or a blog post or a YouTube video saying, I'm successful, I'm location independent, I have five employees, I made a hundred grand on Amazon or whatever's going on. There was like years and years of figuring what the hell to do before that. Often it's just like this, like, you know that you want to be location independent. You know that you want to quit your job. You have gone to a seminar or two or five. You even have the idea that will ultimately be that idea. But what stands between you and popping up on the podcast? Well, I'll just quote ourselves. Since we're doing, this is sort of a retrospective. I'll circle back to our most popular article of all time. I think it's called The Thousand Day Rule. And the supposition is that it will take you three years of full-time effort. Now, I don't know if that's true. And obviously, it's arbitrary exceptions from all directions. But the bottom line is that if you want to make this thing work, you're going to have to work very hard for very long. That's what I learned today. Let us know what you learned. TropicalMBA.com slash Sarah K. Thanks for joining us. And we'll be back next Thursday morning. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to TropicalMBA.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning. 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.